Good morning, everyone, and happy seventh week of Easter. Also, happy Ascension Sunday, as this is Ascension Sunday, which we are celebrating this morning. I am Pastor Russ of the London Mills and the Cuba United Methodist Churches, and I want to welcome all of you who are listening here on WBYS to our service this morning. I hope that you will find it uplifting and inspirational, as today is truly a very special Sunday in the Christian year. If you wish to join us in person, whenever we get back to in-person worshiping, the worship time in London Mills is 9 a.m. and in Cuba it is 11 a.m. We are going to begin this morning with a reading from the uh, Psalm 47 and then a reading from the book of Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 14. After uh, that our hymn of preparation this morning will be Sweet Hour of Prayer. And we will conclude this morning after the message with the hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. So here is our psalm reading for this morning. <clears throat> Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great ruler over all the earth, who subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet who chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom God loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our ruler, sing praises. For God is the ruler of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God who is highly exalted. Amen. And now from the first chapter of the book of Acts, verses 6 through 14. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And now, let us hear our hymn of preparation, Sweet Hour of Prayer.
Easter is easily my favorite time of the year. And I try to keep the feeling of Easter that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus ascended into heaven. I try to keep that in my mind and my heart all year long. Thursday, this past Thursday, was the actual day of ascension. But since we do not have a service on Thursday, this Sunday, today, is the day that we use to celebrate this event. This is one of the most significant celebrations in the Christian year. And that is what I hope we can explore further this morning. I want to begin this morning with a story from a long time ago. It was a Thursday, many, many years ago. Jesus has called his disciples together with a few of his other followers, and they were walking and Jesus was sharing with them just like he always did. This time they walked up the side of the mountain and some of them were anticipating that it would be another day, much like the time he preached to them what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. However, this time they stopped partway up the mountain and Jesus turned to them and he said, These are my words which I spoke to you when I was still with you that all things which stand written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. After he told them these things, he opened their minds so that they could understand. And it was about this time that a man came running up the mountainside, huffing and puffing and late as usual. He knew that Jesus had called them together, but he was busy. And it seems that his life was just like that, that his life just always got in the way. And he was struggling to devote the time that Jesus said he needed to, uh, to devote to God. So he got there a little after Jesus had finished speaking to those gathered there. In fact, he got there just after Jesus had begun ascending into heaven. He heard the commotion and all the people shouting, but he didn't know what was going on, and he, he didn't know where to look. And finally, one of them told him to look up and pointed up into the sky. All the while, the people about him were shouting things like, I see him, or I still see him. And, and this man kept looking and looking, but he didn't see Jesus anywhere. Where, he cries, where is he? I can't see him. And that, my friends, is the first recorded case of Ascension Deficit Disorder. That last line, the one about Ascension Deficit Disorder, is a, intended to make you laugh or chuckle at least a little, but it is also meant to call attention to a very real malady that faces many people today. It is a play on words and it is something that we all must fight against. It is the attitude that many people have regarding the promise that God gave us through his son, Jesus Christ. Too often we need proof. Too often we refuse to believe anything that we can't see with our eyes, touch with our hands, or understand with our minds and our thoughts. And Jesus rising up into the sky, disappearing into a cloud so that he can be seated at the right hand of God the Father is just too much for, for our minds to grasp. 
You know, we talk about the mysteries of faith, and there are many things that qualify as being mysteries of our faith. We have talked in the past about a man who was so strong he killed a lion with his bare hands. And we read where his parents were visited by angels, and they were told that their son would begin the defeat of the Philistines. Yet he did everything but what God wanted him to do throughout his entire life. Do you remember how that story ended? He was captured by the Philistines who blinded him. At a gathering of their leaders, they decided that it would be fun to humiliate him. So they brought Samson to the temple where there were over 3,000 Philistines gathered. While standing in the entrance to the temple, the Philistines began taunting and making fun of the blind Samson. And he grew more and more angry, and with a burst of strength, he pushed against the pillars and, and caused them to break and fall, and the entire temple collapsed. And more than 3,000 Philistines died that day more than Samson had killed during his entire life up to that point. Now, temples in various times had pillars, and they were typically separated by six feet, even more. And because of that, people doubted that Samson would have been able to do what the Bible said that he did. Then a couple of decades ago, an archaeological excavation found the ruins of a temple which was determined to be a temple that was around during the time which Samson lived. And to their amazement, when they excavated the area, they found that the pillars at the entrance to the temple were only three feet apart. And that would mean that if Samson had broad shoulders, they, they were so close that, that he might have even had trouble fitting through them let alone being so far apart that there was no way possible that he could have pushed them uh, and caused them to, to crumble and to fall and the, and the entire temple to collapse. You see, the way the pillars were placed, Samson could have definitely pushed those pillars apart. You know, people doubt the Bible and, and its accuracy. And, you know, even though we are told that God keeps his promises and that the Bible is to be believed. Another time we talked about Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and about him parting the Red Sea. For many Christians, this one was difficult to believe, to accept as being possible. I've heard many Christians say that they felt it was a story made up to tell the great efforts made by Moses to, to set the Israelites free, that it was done to show how devoted Moses was to God. Well, earlier in this century, they discovered some coral that had grown in the Gulf of Aqaba, and its shape was rather interesting, maybe even amazing. The coral is in the shape of chariot wheels with the spokes and everything. The very dimensions of those coral growths are, are the dimensions of the wheels that were in use in the time of Moses. In fact, they took a picture of one that had some kind of coating on it to where the cor coral wasn't growing, 
And that wheel had the exact dimensions of the wheels that have been described in history. This coral has been found in, in fairly straight lines on both shore, both sides of the shorelines of the Gulf. Now, does this make us absolutely sure that Moses parted the waters or, or that this is even the, the place where it occurred? Does it mean that, that they have found absolute proof that this miracle took place? Not necessarily. But I, as a believer, choose to think that they did, or it is at least very possible. For decades before, even longer, people had said that it couldn't be true because it defies logic and there is no residual evidence found anywhere. While it still defies logic, there now is at least potential of residual evidence. And there are some who were skeptical that are now beginning to believe that maybe, just maybe, it happened as the Bible described. You know, some people refuse to believe in miracles because they cannot be explained. But that is the very definition of a miracle. A miracle is something that occurs which cannot be explained based upon human knowledge. This ascension deficit order that we talked about earlier is related to the belief that if I can't see it, it can't be true or it didn't happen. You know, we even see evidence of that in the Bible itself, and it is shown by some of the main believers, some of the main disciples of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And if you remember, Mary Magdalene and the other women, they went to the tomb only to find the tomb empty. And at first, they didn't know what happened. And Mary spoke to Jesus and he told her who he was. And then she went running back to the other disciples to share the good news with them. And do you remember what happened next? Peter and John had to go running to the tomb to see for themselves. Even then, they could not comprehend what had actually happened. It wasn't until Jesus appears to them inside that locked upper room that they really begin to believe. He showed them his hands and his side, and then he ate with them so that they knew he wasn't a spirit. Now, when they actually see him, touch him, hear him speak, and finally eat with him, they believe. They are in shock, but they believe. In their disbelief, they believe. And that is a phrase that we have heard before. And, and sometimes, you know, I wonder what it means, in their belief, they believe. Well, the best way that I can describe that as far as what it, what it might mean is that their disbelief is in their reasoning, their mind trying to explain to them, uh, trying to understand how it could happen. And that is what faith is about. When you put your disbelief on hold, when you can put reasoning aside and believe, that is faith. That is what happened to the disciples.
So I ask you, what does it take for you to believe? We are thousands of years too late to see the ascension. Too often, we are like the man which I described earlier, the one who came too late to see the ascension happen. He came too late and he couldn't see Jesus ascending into heaven. And instead of believing what those around him who had seen it were saying and rejoicing with them, instead he's crying out and he's saying, Where? I can't see him. You know, Jesus is with us today. He is in those around us who believe. He is in what they say, what they do. He is there in their compassion for the hungry, for the needy, and for the forsaken. Look closely, and you will find him all around you. Jesus is everywhere there is love for others. What were the, the final things that Jesus said to the disciples before he departed? What commands did he give them? He reminded them of God's promise that they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. He told them to go back to Jerusalem and wait for that promise would soon be fulfilled. But he said more than just that. He told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That is the call for all disciples, not just those that were on the mountainside with him that day, that is the call given to all of us today as well. All of us are to be his witnesses in the towns where we live, in the communities surrounding us, and in every community on earth. To be witnesses, we must believe. We must be able to believe just like those who are able to see, to touch, and to hear the risen Jesus. During Lent, we, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus was teaching the disciples that they must have faith, love, and hope. These are the three things we must have to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. While the greatest command is love, we must have the faith that Jesus calls us to have so that we can love one another. Our faith must be stronger than our reasoning. Faith gives us the ability to believe in things unseen so that in our disbelief we can believe. Even though we made light of the malady of the ascension deficit order, it is a major concern to all of us just as it was a major concern to Jesus. You see, it's the reason he came to earth. He came to earth knowing that no matter what he did, no matter what he taught the disciples, there was nothing he could do that would allow his disciples then or now to earn their way to eternal life. It was only through his death and resurrection that we would receive that wonderful gift from God. He taught us and he showed us what faith can do Faith allowed him to go to the cross for us. 
it gave him the strength to face the horrible torture and cruel death that was his to bear. He didn't avoid it, although he had the ability to do so. He knew through his faith that God needed him to be the perfect sacrifice. He dreaded what was to happen so much that the night before his crucifixion, he prayed to God, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Your faith allows you to believe that the sea really parted, that Jesus died, was buried in the tomb, and that God raised him from the dead three days later, just as he promised. Your faith allows you to believe, even though you are thousands of years late to the gathering, that Jesus rose from that mountainside and that he did ascend into heaven. It is your faith that tells you that you are called to be his witness from here to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, Help us believe in our disbelief. Help us put aside reasoning so that we may cling to the promises that you have made, even though they don't necessarily make sense. Give us the strength and the courage to have that faith, to believe, and to understand that that is what we are to share with others around us, so that they too may in their disbelief believe and find their way home to you as well. It is in your precious and holy name we pray all these things. Amen. So let us now hear our closing hymn, and then we will follow that with our benediction. Our closing hymn is, I Love to Tell the Story. Oh, <laughs> 
So let us now receive the, the benediction. May this be the day that in your disbelief you believe. May this be the day that you become a witness for our great God. May this be the day that you take his hand and you follow wherever he may lead you, even to the ends of the earth. Go in peace and know that our great God goes with you wherever you may go. Amen. <laughs>